Welcome to Victory GP. We're excited you've joined us, and we hope you're impacted and inspired by today's message. The title of today's message, in case you're wondering, it's a download that God gave me actually started the day after Pastor Charlotte asked if I would take a Sunday. I wasn't pressing into it. Uh, this was more of a conversation that I was having with God. So if it comes across that way or whatever, you can look at back at and say, okay, that's what God was telling me. Uh, I'm not saying anything that he's not talking to me about. But the title of today's message is CRB. Condition, Requirements, and Benefits. But before we get into it, I want to pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise your name. Thank you for being in our midst. Thank you for being here. I ask for boldness and clarity as I preach your word that you have given to me. May it go forth unhindered, unaltered by any force. May it be received with joy and with gladness. And Father, may you transform our lives so that we are more into your image and into your likeness. And Holy Spirit, we give you the service. Do what you want to do. This is your show. No one came here to listen to me. They came here to hear from you. And we give you the glory and the honor for everything. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so as we're going through, you might wonder why conditions, requirements. They kind of sound harsh. They kind of sound, I mean condition. I mean requirements. Well, there are conditions in the Bible. There's requirements in the Bible. But not necessarily the way we're thinking. I first want to start off, and we don't have these in the notes, but I first want to start off in Genesis 1. Now, Genesis 1 is known as the book of the beginnings, or the law of first mention is what I want. And I just want to skim through Genesis 1 here to get the groundwork of what happens when God says something new, when God creates something new, when God creates. So we know, Genesis 1, in the beginning God created heavens and the earth, okay? In verse 3 it says, then God said. That's very important. Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. That's also very important. Verse 6 goes down there again. Then God said. Now I'm skimming through this because I'm highlighting what I want. I'm not taking anything out of context here. I want to set a pattern of the way God speaks, the way God sets, sets it up. Verse 7, and it was so. Verse 9, then God said, and it was so. Verse 10, and God saw that it was good. God said, it is so. God saw, it is good. God never created anything bad. He never created anything second class. He never created anything ho-hum. It was good. Only good. That's all God created. He said it. It is so. There's no option. He saw it. It is good. Okay? So I want you to understand that law of first mention. 
that law of beginnings, where it began, God's intent on that. It's interesting. I've had a couple people, I've asked a couple people to hold me accountable that God sent me on this wild reading plan this year. Insane reading of the Bible this year. And what's even more insane, more of a miracle. I mean, it was a miracle if I'd have done it the first time. That's why I had to get accountable. That's why I had to get people account, hold me accountable. Okay? So it would have been a miracle to do what God said the first time for me. But I did what he said in, to do in 12 months, what I thought 12 months. I actually did in five and a half. That's more of a miracle. Okay? God is on the move. God is doing something. I'm not judging anybody. Don't judge yourself with me, please. Whatever God tells you, please do it. Because God will give you the grace for it. And there is a move of God here happening. Okay? Like was mentioned, we had the altar ministries uh, down Drayton Valley. We got uh, up north here. I was talking to a friend of mine. He was talking to Bill Prankert. I think most of us know him. He was on the East Coast. He said the East Coast is about ready to explode. Going on there too. So we may look at the Canada and say, man, we're going into the dark times. No, we've got to look at God. We're, we're getting light. We're getting bright. We're coming on. That's it. We're, we're, we're moving into our calling. And uh, the enemy is pushing back, but that's okay. We have the God that serves. We have the God. So... So we start in Genesis 1. God said it, it was so, and it was good. So I want to look at the first condition. Now there's many more out there, but God only led me to three. And the first one we find in 2 Corinthians 5. Now if you do have your Bible, I encourage you to turn to it. There is something about being able to put your eyes on a scripture, even if you've read it 20 times. There's something about putting your eyes on the scripture. If you've got a Bible, open it up. If you've got an app, open it up. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. God is saying, and you can add these, and this is where I came up with I want Genesis 1 in there. We believe that God is speaking to us through the Bible. We believe there is one author, many writers, but God authored the Bible. So we could say, and I do not believe it's taken it out of the context, God said, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And it was so. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. God saw and it was good. When you came to Christ, when you accepted Jesus into your heart, God said you are new. God said it was so. God said it is good. The old person is gone. God is saying, bring me your brokenness, your failures, your mistakes, the things that you thought were a defeat in your life, and I will make you new. I'll give you new hope, new expectations, new dreams, new desires, a new life. I remember, oh, it was 
quite a bit younger, let's just say that, okay? <laughs> My uh, mom and dad were quite instrumental in getting the church plant off the ground. Uh, they, weren't not, they were not the pastors, but they were behind the scenes getting it off the ground. And I remember the first pastor that we got for that church. Um, to be polite, he had a very colorful background with the law, okay? Let's just, let's just go that way with it. I remember him telling us from the platform, he had gone to court, been convicted of a crime, sent back to jail to await his sentencing for when he was, how long he'd have to be in jail for. When he got back into the jail cell, God met him. And gave, he gave his life to the Lord. He gave himself, got himself a haircut, got a suit, got all dressed up, got nice. God transformed his life. When he went to the court to hear how much time he would have to spend, he's sitting there with his lawyer. And the lawyers, you know, they're chit-chatting. The time for the judge to come in came. It went. Five minutes late, 10 minutes late. I think it was about 15 minutes late. Finally, the bailiff came to the defense lawyer and says, where's the defendant? We need him here to sentence him. And the defense lawyer pointed to him. He'd been made new. He was unrecognizable. Everything had changed. His face had changed, his countenance had changed, his demeanor had changed. When God makes something new, it is good. It is so, because God said it. And the definition of new has never been done before. Made, not experienced before. When you give your life to the Lord, the angels are saying, wow, that's new. I've never seen that before. Because we're all unique. We're all unique. Made in God's image, but we're all unique. So when I came to the Lord, I was different. Pastor Charlotte was different. The angels are saying, that's new. That's wonderful. You're a masterpiece. It's awesome. So condition number one that God made us in is God said it, God saw it, and God said, you're made new. Old is gone, the new has arrived. Our next condition is actually found just a couple verses down. Now, the heading on this passage here, if you go up to great, uh, verse 12, it says, be reconciled to God. So in context with that, verse 21 in chapter 5, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become, now get this, the righteousness of God in him. We might become the righteousness of God in him. Him who knew no sin. Who's him? Jesus. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for me, who knew no righteousness, so that I could be called righteous 
in him. Not on myself, but in him. I can be made righteous. And righteous, don't get hung up on it, it just means right standing with God. Doesn't mean holy, doesn't mean sanctified. That's a process. But in God's eyes, you're righteous. In God's eyes, you're flawless. In God's eyes, you're perfect. I found this one very hard to grasp for myself because I know the mistakes I have. I know the failures I am. I know the hidden things that I've been struggling with or had struggled with. But God calls me righteous. He doesn't hold that against me because I came to him and I made him my Lord. And he said, okay, I'll work with that. I'll help you out. He does that with all of us. But Satan's main tactic is to try and keep us in guilt and shame, try and keep us beat down and disgusted, saying, okay, yeah, you can, you can be saved, but you're going to live a miserable life. That's not what God wants. That's not what God designed or how he planned it. And you say, well, how can I be righteous? I haven't earned it. I haven't done anything. Well, you're right. You haven't done anything. I remember hearing a story about an uh, evangelist. He was in a mining town and he was trying to evangelize to a miner. And the miner just said, well, it's too easy. I gotta, I gotta earn it. I gotta do something. I gotta pay for it somehow. And the evangelist kept telling him no. And finally, a uh, thought came to him and he asked the miner, how do you get into the mine? And the miner said, well, that's easy. I hop on the elevator and go down. I said, the evangelist said, what did it cost you to go into that elevator? And the miner smiled and said, nothing. But it cost the company a whole lot of money. <laughs> exactly. This didn't cost us anything, but it cost Jesus everything. We can say, well, we're having a hard time receiving it. Just remember the price that was paid for it and the value of that price and the value that he places on you. This is what I call the great exchange. For those that have gone through the baptismal class, I've explained it a little bit differently. But where God takes my sin, takes your sin, and he gives us his righteousness. Not because we've earned anything, but because we've walked across the cross and have accepted him as our Lord and Savior. Next passage I want to look at is in actually in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 34. Now the heading on top of this one is effects of denying the resurrection. Denying the crucifixion, denying what Jesus did. And in verse 34, Awake to righteousness and do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God. Meditate on that for a little bit. Awake to righteousness, do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God. God expects us to wake up to righteousness to the idea that we have been made righteous. For some do not have the knowledge of God. We cannot say we have 
we know God and still call ourselves worms, still call ourselves slugs on the dirt. I'm an old sinner saved by grace. No, you've been made righteous. I'm nothing but scum. No, you've been made righteous. I'm nothing but a loser. No, you've been made righteous. That's what you've been made. God said it. It is so. And God saw that it was good. Okay? Those feelings of inadequacy, those feelings of, I'll never measure up. I'll never be good enough. (laughs) You've already been made good enough. You've already measured up. You're not trying to get anything. You've already done it. What's the opposite of this? If you're not aware of your righteousness, you're in sin. And you have no knowledge of God. I want this to soak in. I want this to really become revelation to us, a deeper revelation. You may know that you're righteous. You may have had this, but there's a deeper revelation in here for you of what God wants for you today. I thought I had that too. I thought I knew, but he's given me a deeper revelation of it, of what's going on. So condition number two is you've been made righteous. God said it. It is so. And God saw that it was good. Everything he makes is good. No matter what you think, no matter what you feel, you've been made good. The next one that he brought me to goes into my favorite book of the Bible. John. And I find this one very comical. I've I've meditated on this one for a little bit and I've got some good laughs over it myself. God is outside of time. God created time for mankind's benefit. He created nights so we'd sleep. He created days so we'd do stuff. He created time for us, not for him. It's our benefit, not his limitations on time. So when we try and put God into our time frame, he can't. He can't fit into the box because it's not created for him. But the first one I want to look at is John 15, 15. Now, I want you to picture Jesus said, I only say what I hear my father say and I only do what I see my father do. Okay? Now remember, God said, it is so. God saw that it was good. Okay? This is Jesus speaking. No longer do I call you servants. Whoa. What's that? God said, no longer do I call you servant. For a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends. For all things that I heard from my father I've made known to you. You were called a servant. God said you were a servant. God, it was so. God saw that it was good. But Jesus comes along. And Jesus calls you a friend. And it is so. You're not. I'm moving into something. I'm probably going ahead of myself here. Our identity hinges 
on knowing who God made us, not who we made us to be, but who he made us to be. Okay? But I want you to notice that change there. But what I find, what I find comical, actually, is uh, God, on the other hand, he one-hops Jesus. And for that, you've got to go back into John 1. Now remember, Jesus called you a friend. Okay? John 1, 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. I think all of us parents here have had at one time, either in our own lives or in our kids' lives, where there's been a friend that's been as close, you might as well call him family. You know, whether we've had that friend that was always over or we were always over them and, you know, second parents or our kids have had friends like that. And the kids call them friends. The parents call them family. That's the same way here. Jesus calls us friends. Father God calls us children. Calls us family. Okay? It's like... God, I love you. Like God saying, any friend of Jesus, my family. God said it. It is so. God saw and it was good. But I really like John 1.12 in the message translation. But whoever did want him who believed, he is who he claimed and would do what he said. He made to be their true selves, their child of God's selves. Get that? But whoever did want him who believed, so who's that? Whoever, were whosoever, okay? Were the whosoever, did want him, who's him, Jesus, who believed he was who he claimed, who believed Jesus was who he claimed, and would do what he said, he made to be their true selves, their child of God's selves. When we come to Christ, that's our true self. Before that, that's not our true selves. We're being swayed by the world. We're being controlled by enemy forces. Not what God created us to be. Not who God created us to be. Not doing what God created us to do. But when we come to Christ, we get to do what he created us to do. We're turned into who he made us to be. And our whole identity changes because of what he did. He made us our true selves. This, I believe, is the biggest struggle in the church today. We haven't identified ourselves as the true self. We go into two ditches, I find. You know, on, the one, on the one side, it's almost like we're gods. You know, we're, we're it. And on the other side, we're dog meat. We're slime. We're scum of the earth. We can't do anything. And God is saying, you're children. You're a child of God. You're my child. 
under my authority, under my rule, under my domain, you can do everything I tell you to do. You're my child. So God calls us family. God calls us children. Romans 8 verse 15. Now the heading on this one is sonship through the spirit. Okay. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. And just stop there. Okay. What's the world trying to give on us today? Fear. Fear that we're not going to have enough. Fear that we've got shortages. Fear finances. Fear of health. Fear of people in authority making decisions that impact our lives negatively. Fear, fear, fear. Okay? But what's God saying? You have not received that bondage anymore. You've been delivered from that bondage. Okay? And you have received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. That is key. Yeah. Knowing that we are family, knowing that we're not just second cousins, third cousins, distant relatives that you don't want at their family reunion. <laughs> okay? We're, we're children. That's wanted. God wants us. He's saying, I want you. I love you. I need you. Call me Abba, Father. Call me Daddy. That's how intimate a relationship He wants with you. Call me Daddy. But what's the difference between an orphan mentality and a child mentality? Now, this is where I've been checking my own life on and seeing what the difference is, seeing where I line up. And I'll be honest with you, I've got some areas in my life where I'm still an orphan. And you might wonder, well, how can you be? It's a mindset change that I have to make. Yeah. It's something that I have to do. It's not impossible. It's something that I have to do. But when an orphan makes a mistake, he runs away from his father. When a child makes a mistake, he runs to his father. I remember growing up, I knew I'd made a mistake, and I would try to hide from God for months, thinking that he was mad at me, thinking that I'd totally disappointed him, and, and I wrecked the whole plan of salvation for all eternity. And it wasn't until I started realizing that I've already been made righteous, that when I make a mistake, and I still do, not as often as I used to. But when I make a mistake, I can immediately go back to my father and say I messed up. I love the story of the prodigal son in Luke, Luke 15. He had it all. He was with the father. He chose to become an orphan. He said, give me my inheritance. Let me run away. Let me go off and do what I want. I don't want to be under your, your rule, your domain anymore. But when he came to his senses, what happened? He came back and the father with open arms ran to him and said, welcome. There is no condemnation. I remember that orphan son cycle. I remember very well. 
in my younger days, feeling like I'm an orphan and then coming back, an orphan and coming back, an orphan and coming back, and being upset with myself for doing the same thing over and over and over again. Awake unto righteousness and sin not. An orphan is loved for what they do. A child is loved for who they are. Like I said, you cannot make God love you anymore. But we can accept that love or we can reject that love. I remember in my previous job, I was always looking for the affirmation, looking for the attaboy, looking for the way to go, hoo-hoo. And finally, I had a coworker come up to me, and I didn't understand it until recently here. He said, when do you think you're going to have, you know, when are you going to accept that you've done enough? When are you going to accept that you've done enough? We can get into that rat race of trying to please others, of trying to do more, do more, do more. If I just do more, God will be happy with me. If I just do this, God will be happy with me when we come to realize that God is happy with me and because he's happy with me, therefore I can do this. I'm not trying to earn his happiness. I'm not trying to earn his love. The position is I'm already, already loved. He's already happy with me no matter what I do or don't do. He's happy with me. But I do it out of that position of him happy and looking after me. An orphan is full of cares because he must take responsibility for himself. A child is free from care because his father cares for him. I was 16 years old. I had gone out and bought myself a hot rod car, paid 500 bucks for it, okay? Envision the car, okay? Envision the car. My mom, Bless her soul. I didn't realize it until later. She gave it the name Ebenezer. Okay? Now, I know probably everybody's gone on to that uh, Scrooge thing, Ebenezer, Scrooge, and... But, haha, First Samuel 7.12. I didn't realize it until later. She was biblical. First Samuel, First Samuel 7, verse 12. This, or thus far, the Lord has helped us. Samuel was talking about a victory that they'd had. Thus far, the Lord had helped us. She'd named my car that. And she was standing on the word for that. And needed to. <laughs> Day after grade 10 ended, I decided to take a road trip. I am 16. Now, back in the day, now for you younger generations, this might hurt your mind a little bit. There were no cell phones. There was no GPS. There was pay phones every so often, which, by the way, yeah, you had, I guess, prepaid uh, cell phones or something like that. That'd be similar. Only they were stationary. You couldn't move them. I got up, I was going to take a road trip. I look, my water pump is broken. So I go into town, take mom and dad's vehicle, 
we're on the farm outside of Sexsmith. They're going to town, pick up the water pump, head back. About five o'clock in the afternoon, I get it fixed. And I remember mom asking me, are you still going? And I said, yes. Okay. The road trip was to Saskatchewan. I was going down to a town by Brooks, over to Swift Current, up to a small town called Drake in Saskatchewan, where my uncle and aunt lived close to it, didn't know exactly how to get there. And I was going to help them out for a month on the farm. Five o'clock, I am leaving. I'm 16. Okay. Yeah, my mom and dad prayed, I'm sure. <laughs> I am positive my mom was praying. But not a care in the world. I got a hot rod $500 vehicle I'm chugging down the highway with. I'm not caring about anything. It, nothing dawned on me that I might have vehicle problems or anything. I drive as far as I can, pull her over and pull out there, sleep for a bit, get up, keep on going, okay? A child has no cares, for his father cares for him. I find out later that my dad had made a couple phone calls to make sure, unbeknownst to me, okay? He gave me the independence that I wanted, but he was making sure things were happening. I stopped in Rosemary, my grandma and grandpa were living there. I'm sure afterwards they contacted each other to make sure I was safe. Go to Swift Current, my uncle and another uncle and aunt were there. I'm sure they talked to make sure I was safe. I get to Drake, make sure I'm safe. Okay? I had the independence. I thought I had the independence. But God or Dad was looking after me. And it's the same way with God. Okay? You may ask what's happening or how does God work that way? There are certain things that God says you have to do. Unquestionable. You have to do it a certain way. My dad was still the boss on the farm. If he told me to get up at 5 o'clock to go do chores, I got up at 5 o'clock to do chores. At harvest time, if he said we're up till 2 o'clock in the morning to combine, we're up till 2 o'clock in the morning to combine. He was still the boss. And yet, he still gave me the grace to think I was independent. I could make decisions on my own, but he was still looking after me. And God's the same way with us kids. There are certain things he tells us we have to do. We got to do it. We got no choice. But there are other things where he gives us the ability to feel like we're independent, but he's looking over us. And he's saying, okay, you made that choice. That may not be the best one, but we'll guide him a little bit. We'll teach him and bring him into the new one. Okay? God said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. <laughs> so, condition number three your family. God said, You're my child. It's so. Whether I want to believe it or not, that's what He said. I have the choice of accepting it, or the choice of running away. I feel like I'm missing a verse here, but we'll keep on going. 
Okay, R, requirements. This one here, God never asked me for my opinion. I'm not sure about you, but not once has God asked me if what he said in the Bible is still accurate for 2022, or should we revise it? He's never come up to me and said, Brad, uh, do you think for 2022 this is still possible, or is, you know, should we revamp it a little bit and just change it? Like, like I said, I'm not sure about you. Maybe some of you have, and, uh, you know, I'm just behind the beat ball here, or behind, behind the scenes. But the first requirement I want to look at is found in Proverbs. Now, I 100%, I know others don't, but I 100% believe that if God did not want me to know the Old Testament, he would not have put it in my Bible. Some people are trying to say the Old Testament isn't uh, valid for today. We don't need it. Um, I can't live without it. It's part of the package deal. And uh, that's what I believe. But Proverbs 4, verse 20. My son, give attention to my words. Okay, let's just stop there for a minute. Give attention to my words. What does that mean? You meditate on them. Incline your ear to my saying. I have found in this day and age... Man, the enemy's voice is loud. Everywhere you turn, you're driving downtown and gas prices are going up. Or you're driving downtown and something else is happening. Where, oh, you're not going to be able to afford this, or you can't do that, or, or this is no good. And God is saying, pay attention to my words. Don't worry about what the world is doing. Pay attention to my words. Change your thinking. Change your perspective on who is your source. What's your source? God showed me a while back, actually when uh, 2020, I, the story of the Israelites and the 10 plagues in Egypt. And how many of those plagues, the Bible says, it did not happen for the Israelites. The Egyptians were plagued. Something happened to the Egyptians, but the land of Goshen, nothing happened. The separation. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. What does that mean? The things of the world don't have to affect us. I don't deny that they're not happening. Don't get me wrong. I'm not in the cloud nine saying, ah, you know, nothing's happening to me. No. I'm denying it's right. If it's a, under the curse, I'm denying its right to affect me. Okay? Those that live under the curse are expected to live under the curse. Read the Deuteronomy 28, what the curse is and what the blessings are if you want. Those that are under the blessing should live according to under the blessing. But pay attention to my words. It, it's a major mindset change. It's a major revamping of your thinking your thought process. We don't operate like the world does. We have the favor of God. The world doesn't. Okay? So pay attention to God's words. It's my choice. Romans 12, verse 2.
Now the heading on this one is living sacrifices to God. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The renewing of the mind. God would not have put this in the Bible if, if, if he didn't say we could not do it, if it wasn't possible. But it takes intentionality. It takes focus. It takes determination to get into the Word, to transform, and to think. You have to make that conscientious decision, okay, whatever I read in here is true. I have to conform to it. It doesn't conform to me. I conform to it. Like I said, God never asked my opinion whether it's still valid for today or not. Whatever the Bible says is the truth. If what's happening in my life doesn't conform to it, then I've got to change my thinking. This past week, it's interesting the attack that I've been under, health-wise. I know the Bible. I know why I'm under attack, was under attack. Because God did not, or Satan did not want me preaching this today. He did not want me on the platform here today. I know that. But his word says, by his stripes I am healed. His word says that he will look after me, never leave me nor forsake me. Putting his word first. Now I'm going to make a bold statement here. No, I'm not. That's coming. <laughs> eh, I'm a carefree child of God. <laughs> Let's not get too far ahead. So no matter what you feel, God's word is the truth. No matter what you think, God's word is the truth. Are we going to believe God's word or not? Are we going to accept what he says about us, the truth? That we've been made new, that we've been made righteous, that we've been made healed, whole, prosperous, children of the almighty living God. Take our eyes off of the world system because they're getting what the, they're getting what the Bible says they're going to get. So we should not limit ourselves to what the Bible says they're going to get with what we can believe. B, benefits. Now this one here, I think we've all quoted the passage, we've all quoted, but we've got to go to Psalms 103. And it's pretty, pretty obvious here. Psalms 103, starting in verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. So what do we do? We've got to give him praise. We've got to give him glory. We've got to give him the honor. It's a privilege to come into his presence. It's not a duty. It's not a job. It's a privilege. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. All of them. Now it's interesting, the, uh, 
Hebrew word for all is A-L-L. And I believe the Greek word for all is A-L-L. All is all. And if it's all his benefits, then there's no benefit from anybody else. There is no benefit in the world system. There is no benefit to doing anything outside of God's will for your life. And what, what does he do? He forgives all your iniquities. How many? All. So why should we hang on to any of them? Why should we have that guilt and that shame of our past mistakes, our iniquities, our sins, our failures? Because he took them all. He heals them. And he heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from destruction. Anybody here feel like they've wasted part of their life? Anybody wish that they would have accepted Jesus earlier? Or would have done something different earlier? I mean, I'm, I'm 59. I didn't come into the church. and well, I didn't start Bible school until I was mid-40s. Do I wish I would have done something different? Do I wish I would have caught on to mom and dad's faith earlier and understand how they did it? Absolutely I do. But he redeems my life from destruction. When I was going down the wrong path, when I was walking with the world system and my life was falling apart, my marriage was falling apart, he's redeemed that now. He's changed that around. So he redeems your life from destruction. He crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. That's huge. Loving kindness and tender mercies. Verse 5. Who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. I remember this past January when God got me onto this plan, I was exhausted. I was exhausted mentally, physically, every way, emotionally, I checked out. So that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Isaiah says uh, basically the same thing. I stood on that promise. I stood on those promises and said, okay, God, your word says you're going to renew me. Your word says, okay? Just to give you a little insight into my five and a half months, there'd be days I'd wake up at one o'clock in the morning, I'd read till four or five. Take another nap, get ready to come to work. My Fridays and my Saturdays, especially when the weather was bad, up at five, read until about five or six. It was intense. It was intense. My whole idea, God, transform me. That was my prayer every day. Out with the old, in with the new. Transform me into your image. I want you. I wanted him more than anything else. I could not listen to a sermon. The only sermon I got was Sunday morning. Normally I'm on podcasts or whatever, trying to build my faith. God wouldn't let me. I had... Gary, my friend here, 
send me some podcasts, I couldn't listen to them. I tried to download them and, and I almost threw up a couple of times. It was that strong, I had to get into the Word. But I can say right now, my, my schedule hasn't really changed a whole lot for what I do. But my strength is being renewed. My energy is coming back. My EQ is coming back. Okay? All because of the Word. Just staying in the Word. The Word works. The Word works. Okay? So let's go down to verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious. There again. Mercy and grace. That's our God. That's who he is. Nothing more, nothing less. He is slow to anger. And there again, abounding in mercy. Do you think mercy is pretty important to God? Do you think he wants to uh, bestow mercy on all of us? All of us? Yes. So you may feel like you've lost it. You've had problems, whatever. God wants to show you mercy. Verse 11. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. These are still part of the benefits. The benefit package that God has created for us. He's shown us mercy and grace. And he removes our transgressions. And then it says, As the Father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. The Lord is not, or God is not looking down on us to punish us. He understands our infirmities. He understands our frailness. The tactics of the enemy, and we're going to be honest about this, is he'll tempt us to do something, then he'll throw condemnation on us when we do it, and say that God hates us, that he's going to punish us, he's going to, you know, chastise us for the next 25 years until we feel like we've had enough. And then finally, maybe he might if we're lucky, fortunate, be shown some mercy and be forgiven. And God says he abounds towards mercy. He is merciful and gracious. So what's our identity? Our identity is children of God. Just as I could not do anything without my dad's permission when I was 16, and he was looking over me. So we can't do anything without God and his permission either. Not in his kingdom. But that also takes the responsibility away from us. When I was 16, I didn't have to pay for anything. If I needed something, my dad paid for it. Now there again, every once in a while, a few hundred bucks came into my bank account to make me feel like I was independent. But, for the major stuff, he paid for it. He looked after all my needs. God's the same way. When we come to him, when we transform our thinking into he is my source, he's my dad, why would I, why would I not 
expect him to do more than what I could do. We have the almighty living God as our father, Abba, Daddy. Second Timothy 3 in the message translation. Every part of scripture is God-breathed and useful one way or another, showing us truth, exposing our rebellion. And I've added this part in, or you could say our wrong way of thinking, correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's way. Every word of the Bible is there to help us transform into his image, to understand who we are. God never wrote the book to tell him how he is. He wrote the book for our benefit. He doesn't have to prove to himself how good he is. He's out there showing us how good he is. And his benefit package, what he wants. I'm going to uh, close with this so if the worship team wants to come on up. There's an old imperial song. And I had a nostalgia moment here in this past week and going on YouTube and finding imperial, for those there again, it's back to the 70s. Okay, I'm dating myself. But there's one passage of, that, of a song that says, You were bought with a price, paid in full with one sacrifice, and with it came a warranty that only he could make. We were bought with a price. Yes, it was expensive for God. But it's cheap for us. It cost him everything. We have to receive it. And then we have to work with it. If you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, you've never accepted him, you've never felt part of a family, as we stand up to uh, sing the last song here, I want you to come up to the front over here. I'd love to meet with you. We have some... Uh, gift packages here for you. If you realize that you've got areas in your life where you still feel like you're an orphan, you haven't been able to give everything over to the Lord yet, you haven't been able to fully walk into that childhood mentality of just accepting Him and trusting Him. There again, as we sing, I want you to come up to the front here. This is your time with the Lord, just between you and Him. If there's an area in your life that you want to give over to Him where you're still feeling stressed out over and you haven't fully come underneath Him, just come on up and spend some time with Him as we soak in the worship music. The altar team will come up afterwards, after the song. If you need prayer, please come on up. We'd love to pray for you and uh, help you out. But just want to close in prayer. Father, we thank you and we praise your name. Thank you, Father, that you've, in your mercy and in your grace, you said we are your family. You said, I love you. I don't condemn you. I want to spend time with you. 
I want to be your friend. I want to be your dad. And Father, as we go forth this week, may we all get a deeper revelation of your goodness, your kindness, and our position as family in the family of God. I thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this message from Victory Church Grand Prairie. You can stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by using at VictoryChurchGP. If you have any questions, would like to access our online resources, or would like to sow into this ministry, you can visit us at www.VictoryGP.com. You can also text to give. Just text 587-207-4387 and follow the prompting. Thanks again for joining us at Victory GP. Reach. Teach. Mobilize.